Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Ogletree Deacons podcast. My name is Karen Tynan, and I am a shareholder in the Sacramento, California office. Today with me is my favorite colleague, attorney Robert (laughs) Rodriguez. We're talking about California workplace violence today in a series of three podcasts, and this is part one. Are you ready, Robert? I am ready. Thanks so much for having me here today, Karen. Great, Robert. So, In this podcast series, I know we have some goals. Let's map out our journey here. So tell me what you think we'll be covering and just give us that high-level overview before we jump in. Yeah, we are here today to cover um, what is known as SB 553, which is the California Workplace Violence Prevention Law that was recently signed by Governor Newsom. And what SB 553 does is create a new standard for virtually every employer in California to implement a comprehensive workplace violence prevention plan. So we're here today to talk about that, kind of demystify all of the dense legal ease that is in the law (laughs) and really help folks out there kind of understand where the rubber meets the road, what this law actually says. And I think it's it's good to start a little bit back at square one and, and talk about how we got here. Um, yeah. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about the healthcare regulations? So sure. Cal OSHA has had a healthcare workplace violence regulation for many, many years. Cal OSHA actively enforces it. Um, you and I have litigated uh, quite a few of those healthcare facility type workplace violence where maybe a patient attacks a nurse, something like that. It's kind of your usual scenario. And there's very aggressive enforcement on that. And I would like to say, as we talk in this podcast, anyone who's listening, have a little perspective too, that there is a focus in Fed OSHA with Doug Parker, who used to be at Cal OSHA, on workplace violence. So the concepts, the strategies, everything we're talking about here today, I think will likely end up as a future Fed OSHA regulation or or something like that. Don't you think, Robert? Yeah, I think that California and its state plan really like to be on the cutting edge of uh, workplace safety regulations and initiatives. And you see Fed OSHA kind of lagging a little bit behind sometimes in that, but they definitely do follow California's lead. So 100% I agree with you on that. Getting back to the, the SB 553, um, Cal OSHA, in addition to the healthcare regulations, had been working on draft general industry workplace yes. violence regulations for about six years <laughs> prior to this bill. Um, in SB 553, in its initial form, really closely tracked the healthcare regulation. Would you agree with that? Yes. And it it had a little bit of a supercharger in the original drafts from our state legislator, Mr. Cortese. And it had very specific and I would say more onerous terms, 
had terms about shoplifting and active shooter drills, right? And it really kind of took a lot of the healthcare terms and tried to apply them to general industry. And fortunately, through the work of Cal Chamber and other lobbyists and some other legislators, the final version of SB 553 that is um, going to be a law, and we'll talk about the the timing, is much more like the general industry standard draft that Cal OSHA had, a little more simple, a little more like an IIPP structure. And so um, in that way, the regulation is more flexible, but don't forget the driver of this regulation and, and uh, our state legislator, Mr. Cortese, was very vocal about it, were workplace violence incidents that had happened in California that he felt needed to be addressed more strongly with a state law and with Cal OSHA regulations. Yeah, so I think he felt yes. very strongly about this issue. And one thing to note for, for all three of these podcasts yes. SB 553 also has some requirements regarding temporary restraining orders and altering um, California law on that. We are not going to be covering that here. We're going to really stick to the uh, Cal OSHA workplace violence prevention piece of it. Absolutely. And um, those other details about restraining orders and unions involvement in restraining orders. That's for another podcast. But we really are focusing here on SB 553, Labor Code 6401.9, and what it means to comply with that law and um, how California businesses can work towards, you know, having workplace violence prevention in their workplace. So with that, Let's tell everyone, who does this law apply to, Robert? Who has to comply with workplace violence prevention? So the the sweeping part of this bill was that it really covers virtually every employer in California. Uh, And that's where it was a lot different from the healthcare regulations, which Mm -hmm. were really specific to um, healthcare, which just by its very nature carries a risk of workplace violence with patients um, and and, and things of that nature. So virtually every California employer must comply with this new law. Um, There are some exceptions. For example, obviously the healthcare facilities don't have to um, comply with this. They have to comply with their own regulations they have. Yes. CDCR or California prison facilities do not have to comply with it. And law enforcement agencies do not have to apply with it, comply with it. The notable exceptions that um, I think may be more applicable to some of our listeners are um, there's a teleworking exception, and then there's also um, one dealing with the amount of employees. So for teleworking, obviously the the world has changed since COVID. Very much. There's a lot more teleworking going on. And so employers um, who have employees teleworking from a location of the employee's choice, which is not under the control of the employer, will be exempt. So if you have a teleworking employee and they're working from home or they decide to some reason go work in a high crime area um, and it's not under your control, then generally the employer won't be responsible for implementing its workplace violence there. Yeah, I agree, Robert. And I think with the, I, I'd say, even explosion and ramp up of teleworking, most employers are going to have to 
carve out or indicate if they've got a location and then employees teleworking, you're going to have to make clear, hey, these rules that we have about, you know, whatever it is um, about the alarm system or anything else like that, that's not going to apply in someone's home when they're working on their little laptop with their screens. So, so just remember that as you develop your plan, that there is that carve out for those employees. And the next exception is kind of seductive in a way, because I think a lot of employers are going to see, you know, smaller employers are going to see the number um, where it's less than 10 and, oh, I don't have to comply with this law. But um, there's actually three parts to the the, um, smaller employer exception, we'll call it. You've got to have less than 10 employees. The workplace cannot be accessible to the public. And the employer must also comply with the injury and illness prevention uh, plan regulations. So three parts to that. And, you know, you and I were talking offline. What, what do you see as the most difficult part of that exception? I think what's difficult is the not accessible to the public because most people get deliveries. Most people, a client can come pay an invoice at the door, right? Whether you're a HVAC company, you can think to yourself, well, I don't have a office where people, well, but you get deliveries, you maybe you're in a warehouse area. And so really it has to be 10 employees at a place where no one else is coming. So I think that's incredibly narrow. And when this bill was in the mix, I think there was a big push to have a small employer exception. And I expected, and I think many people wanted to see an exception for like small employers under 20 or 25, just boom, that with a period. But the way this exception is worded, I think it will be very difficult for California employers, even small mom and pop places to not be required to have a plan, Robert. Yeah. I mean, for example, if you've got a small convenience store and they have eight employees, even if they have that number, even if they're complying with the IIPP regulations, that would still be open to the public. So yes. they would still be under the purview of this particular law. Yes. So I think the exceptions are extremely narrow. Now saying that, what's the timing for compliance, Robert? Because obviously the bill is signed and you know there's a big to-do and press releases, but what's the timeline for California employers? Well, that's a little bit of a trick question, I think, Karen. The The answer is kind of twofold. Number one, um, the requirements of Labor Code 6401.9 or SB 553, as we're calling it, um, do not go into effect until July 1st, 2024. Um, so as of right now, these specific requirements are not in place. But um, the second part of my answer is we know from our experience in talking with Cal OSHA inspectors and district managers that they're out there already looking at this workplace violence issue. And they're looking at it through a lens of the IIPP regulations, meaning that each employer has a duty to maintain a, a worksite free of hazards or known hazards. And so, you know, for, for example, um, you and I were discussing some, some violent incidents that happen. So do you want to discuss a little bit about that? Sure. I like your caveat about, yes, the law goes into effect July 1st, but dot, (laughs) dot, dot, right? So let's talk about the mushroom farm uh, shootings and workplace violence. 
there was no SB 553, no California workplace violence regulation for general industry, but that employer received over $100,000 in citations. And one of the serious accident related citations was for not having a workplace violence prevention plan under the IIPP. So in that case, where there was a disgruntled worker and an awful active shooter situation, there had been no training, people didn't know what to do, um, no one addressed their employee concerns about this worker. And so people will get cited under the IIPP regulation 3203, for a lack of a workplace violence plan and hindsight will be 2020. There's been a shift, you know, Robert, was it the summer of 2021 or 2022 when you and I went out on a murder case, right? And we called it into Cal OSHA. There'd been a fatality. Right. And Cal OSHA's response was what? Is the law enforcement agency handling it? Great. Thank you very much for letting us know. They were very much hands off that they viewed it as a, um, a criminal act. And this was actually a murder by a, an employee on another employee. So it wasn't like um, a, a random piece of violence where it was from a third party coming on the scene. It was actually two employees, one ended up getting murdered, which would be under the purview of Cal OSHA. But that kind of shows really how attitudes have shifted in the last even year to two years about right. this workplace violence issue. Yeah, I agree, Robert. So there is going to be enforcement. And right now, I think one of the best practices that we're seeing is employers are already talking about drafting plan. They're drafting plans. They're starting training. There's, there's a couple of important concepts and there are some very important definitions. And I'd like to talk about those definitions, Robert, as kind of finishing out this, this part of the podcast. And it builds a foundation for everything else we're going to talk about. So can you run us through some of these definitions in this new law and, and help California employers understand what these definitions really mean? Yeah, there's there's very just like any other law. There's very specific definitions contained in, in the law, um, and, and so that you can be sure that you understand whatever provision says something. You can refer back to the definitions for what it means. Um, we won't go through every definition here in this podcast. We'll kind of do a high level overview of the more important ones. the The first couple definitions are engineering controls and work practice controls, and so these are types of uh, controls or procedures that you can implement to prevent workplace violence. And um, engineering controls is defined um, as an aspect of the built space or device that removes a hazard from the workplace or creates a barrier between the worker and the hazard. So think about, you know, some sort of physical, like a door, um, a badge and door, um, or when you go to the bank and you see, uh, you know, the bulletproof glass. Uh, right, where you have to have a code to get through a door. Anything that doesn't require uh, human management and that you can simply put in place, those are the kind of engineering controls that employers will be considering in order to protect workers from workplace violence. And uh, with regard to work practice controls, that's another defined definition, um, defined word, excuse me. And 
this is going to be more on the the human side where you're going to have procedures and rules that are going to be targeted to reduce workplace violence hazards. So those are going to be not letting people in, not letting, yes. not buzzing them in our conflict resolution policies um, or, you know, any kind of uh, reporting type policy. So these are the things you're going to be thinking of when you think of work practice controls. Great. And, and I want to ask you, because there's a definition for log, meaning the violent incident log. I know we're going to talk about um, that in podcast number three, but what do you think of this definition and the violent incident log? Yeah, so the log in quotations um, is going to revert, refer to the violent incident log required by the new law. And what you can think about this as is a 300 log on steroids about <laughs> workplace violence. Yes. So it's going to have uh, require a significant amount of information, um, the type of, of violence, um, the perpetrators, who was involved, very, very, very detailed log you're going to have to keep about workplace violence. Um, and we'll get more into that in our other our series of them. And so the, the main definition that really drives this whole thing is what is workplace violence? You know, how is that defined? And the drafters of this bill gave it a very, very broad definition as to encompass um, any kind of behavior that really could be interpreted as violent. Would you agree with that? I agree. It is incredibly <laughs> broadly defined. So workplace violence means any act of violence or threat of violence that occurs in a place of employment. So it is not just overt acts. It is also threats. And then the regulation goes on to define a threat of violence. And I, I want you to talk about that some, Robert, because that's an area that we've already been getting a lot of questions around. What is a threat of violence? How do, how do I know what a real threat is? It's very difficult because the, the definition is very broad. Um, it's the threat or use of physical force that results in either injury, psychological trauma, or stress. So what I focused on was the threat or use of physical force. So what's enough to trigger a workplace violence? I mean, is it, I think we would all agree that, you know, uh, punching somebody or putting your right. fist up into somebody's face, like you're going to punch them, that would be a threat. But is giving them a dirty look, is is talking to them close, is that going to be considered a threat of violence? Because that could potentially cause psychological trauma or stress. Right. And so I think the way these definitions are worded, it's meant to not require actual physical interaction between employees. So it includes really a lot that could be leading up to the physical force and the threat of violence, the, the way it loops back around is it can be verbal or written. People could send a message. It can be a social media message, online post. It can be behavior and physical contact or physical contact that is going to convey that threat or that intent for physical harm. And Robert, you know, for me, I think about how social media and messaging works and how online posts can be worded to be vague. What do you kind of think of that? Because I think that's going to be very difficult if someone posts things on social media, statements on social media, 
and then, but the it's considered a workplace violence threat. Yeah, that's going to be a challenge, I think. You know, I, I think you're going to have clear-cut cases where there's going to be no doubt that it's a threat of violence. I think you're going to have more, um, some cases as well, where it, it may be a wobbler. It may, it may cross the line or it may not cross right. the line. And so that's where, you know, the robust plan um, of, res, you know, responding to these complaints by employees is going to come into effect because there's going to have to be, you know, cool headed decision makers that decide what, what right. is this? Is this a threat of violence or, you know, do I need to take action on this? Yeah. And I think that, that, you know, we talked about the, the murder case that we were involved with last year, that that's very easy to call workplace violence. Someone pulled out a knife and stabbed another person. Right. Right. And so that's easier. I think the difficulty that I'm going to see for safety professionals and HR professionals is kind of threading the needle on some threats or things that may be more vaguely worded and, you know, that there has to be a response under the workplace violence prevention plan to threats of violence. Exactly. No, great point, Karen. And, you know, I think moving along the definitions, um, the definitions of type of violence really give an indication of what the the bill was meant to cover. In the definitions, they break down the four different types of violence into type one, two, three, and four, um, and they are uh, explicitly defined. And where these types of violence come in to play is for your violent incident log, the 300 log on steroids we talked about. You're gonna have to describe what type of violence it was. It also serves as a secondary um, hazard assessment kind of guidepost where the fact that they've broken um, this down into four different types of violence really shows that employers should be looking at these four different areas. So for type one violence, this is going to be workplace violence by a person who has no legitimate business at the work site. So this is going to be somebody, your, your true third party criminal act, think of robbery um, or things of that nature. Type two is going to be, um, employee um, uh, or violence by your your clients, patients, students, inmates, or visitors. So this is going to be, you know, how I think about it is somebody who's using that business is going to be violence by them against the employees. Like in a retail establishment, it'd be some customer coming in and mm-hmm. let's say they became violent, they became irate over being asked to wear a mask or something like that. That would be type two. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. yes. And type three violence is going to be employee on employee, and that's going to be current and former. And so that's going to be when you have two employees get into a scuffle or uh, an employee threatens another employee, um, that's going to be contained within the workplace. So that's type three. And then, um, and that's really what we see most commonly, right? And that was the mushroom farm shooting and also the example we've been talking about. And then on type four, which is by a person who does not work there but has a personal relationship, I think this one's really intent is to cover the irate boyfriend or that type of person coming into a workplace. They don't really have a particular right to be there. They don't work there, but they have a personal relationship with an employee. Right. I agree 100% with that. And Again, just to kind of hammer it home is this really gives you a good guide of what different types of workplace violence will need to be assessed under this law. 
Okay, I think that's a really good stopping point, Robert, and we'll close this out. Thanks for listening to part one of our three-part podcast series on workplace violence in SB 553. Don't forget to look for our blog articles on ogletree.com. We have recorded webinars related to Cal OSHA and workplace safety, as well as other safety podcasts. Take care and stay safe. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.